0: A good morning my fellow adventurers. On today's program we're going to introduce you to one of the wild and wooly larger than life characters from the western frontier, we're going to put one of the most overlooked communities on Route 66 in the spotlight, and of course I'm going to share one of my favorite places for pie and barbecue. First, a very hearty thank you to Joe and the boys of the road crew. Thank you for the theme song as well as inspiration for some memorable road trips. Take a listen to the boys at roadcrew66.com and see if your thoughts don't turn towards road trips and adventures. And before we get the show on the road, I need to give a shout out to this morning's sponsor, Missouri's mural city, delightful, wonderful Cuba. Cuba is an amazing, almost magical place where every visitor is made to feel like an old friend. And the Cuba Bakery and Deli on Main Street, one block off Route 66, with its superb pies and excellent taste treats will start any day with a smile. And of course, this program and Jim Hinckley's America are also made possible through support of our crowdfunding initiative on the Patreon platform, patreoncom ncom slash Jim Hinckley's America. Now, let's get started. Travelers zip through Ash Fork in Arizona on I-40 every day. Occasionally, they exit but only to head south on Highway 89A toward Paulden, Chino Valley, and Prescott. Fans of Route 66 will cruise the now quiet streets, and some will find their way to the fascinating museum. A few will discover the gastronomical wonders of Lulu Bell's Barbecue. I have a very fond memory of this little gem. The first time my dearest friend and I sampled the barbecue here, we were traveling with our good friends Toshi Goto of the Japanese Route 66 Association and his charming wife. The site of this well-worn old town is where the three tributaries of Ash Creek come together. This was an important camping area for tribes that traveled the trade route, connecting the villages of the Hopi and Zuni with villages on the east coast coast of California. Father Garces followed that trail and camped here in 1776. A long list of American explorers camped here as well, including Kit Carson, Ewing Young, and legendary mountain man Bill Williams the namesake for Williams, Arizona. Lieutenant Beale and his now famous Camel Caravan also camped at this site. In 1882, the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad established a siding water station and construction camp here. That would be the cornerstone for the town of Ash Fork. By the 1890s, this was a ranching boomtown with large stockyards at both ends of town and a row of saloons in between. Here's a bit of interesting Arizona territorial trivia that I bet you'll find of interest. In March 1895, a railroad was completed that connected Phoenix with the main line at Ash Fork. There's a general consensus among historians that this marked the end of the frontier era in Arizona. The stylish Escalante Hotel, a Harvey House, that opened in 1907 was the pride and joy of Ash Fork, a town that at the time seemed to have a bright and promising future. In 1968, that hotel was razed. Major fires in 1977 and 1987 destroyed a lot of the historic ashwork. Still, there are some true gems here, real diamonds in the rough. Copper State Modern Cottages opened in 1928. The White House Hotel opened in about 1910. The Highline Modern Auto Court opened in 1936. The next time you're in the neighborhood, spend a bit of time exploring this fascinating old town. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by what you discover. To ensure we have time to share the fascinating story of Francois Javier Aubrey this morning, I'm going to jump ahead a bit on our alphabetical odyssey. Next week, we'll get back on track and kick off the program with a story of Atlanta, Illinois. West of Seligman, Arizona, Route 66 cuts across the wide Aubrey Valley. This is one of many landmarks named for Aubrey. Others would be Aubrey Peak and Aubrey Landing on the Colorado River. Aubrey was born near Quebec on December 3, 1824. While still in his teens, he traveled to St. Louis, employed as a merchant's clerk, sensing an opportunity to make some big money. At the outbreak of the Mexican War, he borrowed money from his employer, purchased wagons, and entered the lucrative Santa Fe trail trade. With his first profitable trip, he also established a reputation for reliability and speed. His solo return trips from Santa Fe to St. Louis were accomplished so quickly, he became the subject of news stories and national newspapers that were fueled with excerpts from his journals. Speed was the key to profit on the Santa Fe trade, and Aubrey became the first trader to make two round trips in a single year. This enabled him to purchase the best draft animals and wagons. On a bet, Aubrey once rode from Santa Fe to Independence, Missouri, a distance of about 800 miles in an astounding 14 days. In recognition of the accomplishment, newspapers dubbed him Telegraph Aubrey, Skimmer of the Plains, and some reports even claimed the effort bordered on the supernatural. Following the success, Aubrey looked for ways to further increase his speed. In 1848, he made three trips over the trail. He left Missouri in mid-March before enough grass had grown to provide fodder for his beast of burden and instead fed them by hauling a supply of feed corn. Aubrey made the return trip from Santa Fe to Independence in eight days and ten hours. For his second return trip of the year, he positioned spare horses along the route. Leaving Santa Fe on the morning of September 12th, 1848, Aubrey carried a copy of the Santa Fe Republican with news of his departure. His journey was hampered by rain and mud and Indian attacks, but he managed to arrive in Independence on the evening of September 17th after just five days and 16 hours on the trail. By 1849, Aubrey was considered one of the leading traders on the Santa Fe Trail. Next, he pioneered a trade route to Chihuahua and El Paso, Texas. Incredibly, he sold these goods and returned by the same route and was in St. Louis by late August, another record. Aubrey made the St. Louis Santa Fe trips his primary business, and to expedite the trips, he mapped an important shortcut on the Santa Fe Trail, known as the Aubrey Cutoff that would save travelers more than 100 miles. Next, he turned his attentions to California And in 1853 and 1854, he made two trips from Santa Fe to California. On the last trip, he moved several thousand head of sheep to San Francisco and mapped a new route through previously uncharted wilderness. On his return trip, he explored the old trade route along the 35th parallel. His maps and notes were instrumental to Lieutenant Beale's success in construction of the Beale Wagon Road, a path that would later be followed by Route 66. Route 66. The mapping of this wagon road led to a dispute between Aubrey and Major Richard Waitman, a prominent New Mexico landowner. On August 18, 1854, the day of his return from California, Aubrey met Waitman in a Santa Fe cantina. After a heated argument over the merits of the wagon route, Waitman threw a glass of liquor in Aubrey's face. Aubrey pulled a pistol, but it misfired, and Waitman fatally stabbed him with a knife. Before we wrap up this week's episode, I'd like to say thank you to Sam for his editing skills and provide a couple of quick updates. First, the fall research and promotional tour kicks off in October. Currently scheduled is a presentation about murder and mayhem on Route 66 on the 19th at the Miles of Possibilities conference in Normal, Illinois. On October 12th, I'll be speaking about the first decades of the American auto industry at a fundraiser for the Hackett Auto Museum in Jackson, Michigan. Now, as promised, a bit about the new book Murder and Mayhem on the Main Street of America Tales from Bloody 66. First, a bit of clarification. Some of the stories in the book will predate Route 66, but they're quite interesting and they're related to communities along the highway corridor, so I thought they should be included. As an example, Consider these stories from Chicago's Taxi Wars. On August 20th, 1920, a driver was shot and wounded after an evening in which 50 cabs began ramming taxis from rival companies while jockeying for positions in front of Chicago Loop District Theater. On August 7th, random gunfire wounded two drivers. By the end of the month, the casualty count had climbed to 10, and in September, bombings and arson destroyed numerous cabs clashes between checker and yellow drivers continued throughout the month. One driver was wounded in the Loop District, and the windows of a yellow taxi were smashed near Grant Park. At the Hotel Sherman, a checker taxi rear-ended a yellow taxi at high speed, and a brawl between drivers ensued. The police arrested several checker drivers. At Logan Square and Milwaukee Avenue, a driver was shot in the foot after a group of drivers affiliated with yellow cab overturned a checker taxi. And you were worried about driving through Chicago on Route 66 today. You can find more information about the October schedule and becoming an advertising sponsor at JimHinkley'sAmerica.com. Hey, that's it for this week. Until we meet again, my friends, here's to grand adventures and safe travels. Adios.